sofas, recliners, love seats. Everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Whoa, what the... Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> Look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax. You booked a Verbo. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. Happy Valentine's Day, Ben Kissel. Oh, my God. Love is in the air. I got puffing a little chocolate heart, but he can't eat it or he'll die. I thought I, thought I would start this episode by reading um, this interesting little piece of literature that uh, Bl- Michael Bloomberg actually was uh, responsible really? for. Really? Well, yeah. I, I immediately love it. So uh, this book is called The Portable Bloomberg. This is oh, an no. actual. This is not real. This is an actual thing dated... Valentine's Day, 1990, 20 years ago today. So this is a book. 30 uh, years ago. Oh, my God. 30 years ago. Time is very fast. Oh, my God. I'm 30. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, this was a book that was a gift from Bloomberg staffers who wanted to canonize some of their boss's most famous quips and anecdotes. Okay. So anyone looking for uplifting bon mots, however, would be sorely let down. Uh, this is from Gawker. As Michael Wolff wrote at the time, the book represents, I think, an institutional acceptance of the arrogance, cruelty, carelessness, and rulelessness of the CEO. Also sexism. A lot of sexism. So here are a couple excerpts from this book. That it's a collection of his bon mots as he as it is written here. All right, I'll decide on all that sexism and whatnot stuff. The, okay, according to Michael Bloomberg, the three biggest lies are the checks in the mail. I'll respect you in the morning, and I'm glad I'm Jewish. What is what is if going on? Women what? wanted to be appreciated for their brains. They'd go to the library instead of to Bloomingdale's. What is going on here? Where, I know what? for a fact that any self-respecting woman walks past a construction site and doesn't get a whistle, and who doesn't get a whistle will turn around and walk past again and again until she does get one. This, this is, is Bloomberg. This saying is a that? collection of things that Michael Bloomberg has said, written down by his staffers, and then compiled into a book <laughs> gifted to him on 1990 uh, Valentine's Day, 1990. Oh. So happy Valentine's Day to the Bloomberg campaign. Indeed. Well, you know, I always walk by construction sites until they give me a whistle, because otherwise, I don't feel pretty that day. Okay, everyone, we got New Hampshire we have to talk about. Also, speaking of Michael Bloomberg, the meme war is real, the and meme, the meme war is now. He has the memes, and he is, he's dropping a payload of memes on America right he now. He really is. That's his presidential campaign, so we'll talk about that. Also, we have Dylan Bank with us. He is the co-director of the documentary Get Me Roger Stone. We have a great conversation with him, uh, kind of go in-depth on who is 
Roger Stone? Uh, why is Roger Stone currently on trial? We talk about the Brooks Brother riot. Uh, we talk about the lying to Congress. Uh, we talk about just the world that we're living in right now, this sort of Alex Jonesian political time uh, that we are currently all staring at, which is why oftentimes we feel like we're being gaslit. That is not on accident. There are people that want that to be the way we feel. And those people in particular, in this case, is Roger Stone. So we will have a great conversation with Dylan Bank. But first, let's get to New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders uh, won New Hampshire. He is now at 21 delegates total. And Pete Buttigieg coming in second, a very close second in New Hampshire. He is now at 22 delegates uh, total, obviously, if you would combine the popular vote, Bernie Sanders would still be, you know, up. But in primaries, there's Iowa is dead. It yes. does not matter. It doesn't matter. Didn't ex- so there is no collective I- popular Iowa vote. Iowa, the state, is not real. It never was. It no longer matters. You'll never hear it about it. You won't hear about it for four more years. They've basically seceded. It's by, like the Olympics. Yes. But, uh, I mean, yes, let's reiterate that. Bernie Sanders won. And uh, that might be a, something that you may not have heard under the the sort of mountain of stories about why third place is the best place to be for Klobuchar, um, why, why it's so great that Buttigieg was second place. Bernie Sanders won handily. I mean, uh, Bernie Sanders won once again in 2016. Obviously, Bernie Sanders was able to beat Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire. This is in his backyard. He was expected to win. He was the front runner in New Hampshire. Uh, Buttigieg, I think, did manage to exceed expectation because of the sinking ship that is the Biden, oh the, the, the intrepid Biden, uh, the USS Biden. Uh, that is going Biden, down. Oh, it was so amazing because after the so after the results came in, Bernie won, Bernie wins. Uh, PBS NewsHour cuts to Joe Biden in South Carolina giving a already speech gone. already gone. out of New Hampshire, and he's yes. like he's giving his speech that's that's like. Uh, Listen, Jack, I've been to the top of the Big Rock, Big Rock Candy Mountain, and if you think it's taller than a hill of beans, you're a pony-faced liar. And so, like, it's it, he's just there be, giving, Bert, uh, you know, Bidenisms, and he just completely sidestepped uh, New Hampshire altogether because you know he did, he knew, he knew he was going to do so poorly there. I don't know if he understood how poorly he was going to do. I think the tea leaves, uh, the writing was on the wall. If you read the tea leaves after Iowa. He understood the grassroots campaign that he thought he may have in those states. Obviously, the majority of white states, not necessarily reflective of the electorate as a whole, but nonetheless, uh, that's those early voting states. I do believe he thought he was going to do better. There is no denying the donors feel that way. His donations are drying up. You thought Mayor Pete had some big money coming in before. That money is only going to increase. Klobuchar did do well in New Hampshire, but super come Super Tuesday, I'm not sure if her campaign is going to be able to uh, hold water. She does have a little bit more momentum now. But going into a place like South Carolina, if Biden does not perform well in South Carolina, and by perform well, I mean he's got to win. He has got to win South Carolina. He's got to somehow. He's gone. He's got to somehow go in, get into first place twice. Some in some like co- sort of cloning experiments, and then it just be first twice. You have to get over nineteen hundred delegates. Right now, the front runner has twenty two. So there is a lot of time, and of course, that's the one thing that Biden is hanging his hat on. A lot of time left yeah. in the way that I don't know why Joe Biden has decided to speak like 
like Joe Biden speak. I don't remember him quite talking like this. No, something is going on. Something is going on in his head. He's being a cool guy. He's always he's, been a well, cool he's, guy. He's um he's really leaned into like the fifties lingo. Like he he's talking about malt shops and, and drive-in <sighs> theaters. I have no idea why. But the the post New Hampshire like mainstream media narrative right now seems to be Sanders versus the moderates. Not for any particular candidate but they the way that they like msnbc was portraying this they were like okay so sanders got 26 percent of the vote in new hampshire but if you combine Buttigieg, klobuchar and biden they got 53 percent altogether which so they're well, trying to do this know, weird this is, math where well and like, also they're assuming that 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 bernie isn't uh the second alternative or the first alternative to people who might vote for Buttigieg, klobuchar yes, or no. biden and as we've seen in the past uh, a lot of times, people's voting, like who they are, who they vote for, doesn't necessarily match up. It doesn't ideologically. align to the to the policies no. or the yeah the the uh, ideology, like you said. Yeah, it's extremely possible you're going to get people who loved Biden to go over to Bernie. Uh, you're going to get people who loved uh, Warren, obviously, going over to Bernie, or maybe Amy Klobuchar because uh, of a series of different things. So it's 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 not a it's not an exact science. This isn't a recipe. No, no. This is this is a social science experiment. Every election cycle, it is. So. Who who the hell knows what's going to happen what, if Biden does have to drop out, which it does look like uh, he has to. And speaking of dropping out, another large development from New Hampshire. We lost our boy, Andrew Yang. 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 Yang gang is gone. And I found that to be interesting because it seems like it's another reminder that social media presence doesn't necessarily reflect um people who are actually going to go out to the polls. So you have, we were uh, Travis and I were talking about this yesterday. When it comes to Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders has a big social media presence, obviously. Yeah. Um, but the thing about it is the social media presence is reflective of a true grassroots movement. An organic, actual uh, enthusiasm. So you have a true, tangible, on-the-ground movement, uh, people lining up across, uh, you know, a a around large buildings to go and see Bernie Sanders speak. Trump-esque. Uh, although perhaps his numbers aren't quite as big as Trump when it comes to the performative aspects of his um, campaign stops. But he has a social media presence because he has a real world boots on the ground presence, getting people out to vote. Yang, obviously a newcomer. So he doesn't have the time. He didn't have the name recognition. He's starting from scratch. The fact he did as well as he did is am is amazing. Outlasting Cory Booker. I mean, you name it. Kamala Harris. He outlasted so many establishment politicians. Yeah. It's amazing he got to New Hampshire. And I give him credit for what he did. And again, come back to New York, Andrew Yang. Run for governor. Run for mayor. New York State and New York City need you because I do think that the grassroots, the beginning of the grassroots uh, have begun for Andrew Yang, and I don't think he's going to go anywhere. So congratulations, Andrew Yang and the Yang gang. They have nothing to be upset about. No. And uh, his one percent of support. That is that's going to be divvied up and, and people speculated will most likely go to a Bernie Sanders yeah. type or yeah. progressive, someone who is a little bit outside. Um, but we just don't know. Well, that. speaking of inauthentic social media and New York, <sighs> Michael Bloomberg has partnered with a company called Meme 2020, uh -huh. and he is about to drop some memes on all of us in a <sighs> in an almost abusive, violent, 
what amount and in sort of density and why is grandpa frequency. sending all my why is grandpa sending me all these memes <laughs> what's going on so it's so basically just to put a little context into this bloomberg is taking a page out of rudy giuliani's book which why wouldn't you because everything giuliani's ever done turned out so well by not campaigning in iowa not campaigning in new hampshire not running a traditional grassroots campaign bloomberg has decided to circumvent everything that makes a politician understand the will of the people which is going to meet the people in public spaces and talk to the people he circumvented all of that hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in an ad campaign getting members of the black caucus for example to come out and support him literally buying people to be to to steal their voices essentially yes buying their voices buying their support as travis will discuss on social media how he's buying influencers support and my god evidently their their political souls are not that expensive surprisingly enough so that is that is the um model for the bloomberg campaign buy as many votes as possible and hope to strike it big on super tuesday so Explain to me what the hell is going on with all these memes, Travis. Well, so the the head of this sort of meme strategy is uh, Evan Reeves, the the creative director for Jerry Media. Do you know the the Instagram account Fuck Jerry? Yes. So that guy is now partnered with Mike Bloomberg. But didn't Fuck Jerry just steal content from, yes. from artists yes. and not so give them credit? There's, and- there's a I don't know if it was a documentary or some kind of like series on Netflix where it it explores how Fuck Jerry is just sort of built on stealing content other people's work and not crediting um i don't know what the current like situation is with that but i think they give credit and consent now but but for a long time they built their meme empire on (sighs) on just sort of stealing content from uh from smaller accounts so So hold on so fuck jerry fuck jerry is is in charge of the social media (laughs) wing of the bloomberg campaign that's right and so uh fuck jerry is is reaching out on behalf of uh of michael bloomberg uh, reaching out to to various influencers on Instagram, whose reach does um, sort of amount to millions and millions of eye, eyeballs on, okay, so on Instagram. What kind of influencers are we talking here? Uh, Makeup so, influencers? What are we talking? Oh, uh, we got at white people humor. We got at the funny introvert. At shit my therapist says. At Tank Sinatra. At trash can Paul. <sighs> okay, so let's just go at shit my therapist says. What is something that at shit my therapist says that is a pro Bloomberg mean. I don't, well, I don't so, even so understand. What does it look so like? So here's the thing. Okay. So all of these, I thought the memes would take on the sort of the voice of the actual Instagram influencer. I thought they'd be all be sort of different and, you know, one would be video, one would be sort of a sort of mixed media collage thing or something. But they're all sort of fo- following this format of a nonchalant, um, very like meta uh, screenshot kind of thing. So, for for example, one of them, uh, I'll go with Grape Juice Boys, is one of the Instagram <laughs> influencers. It's just a screenshot of a DM from Michael Bloomberg to Grape Juice Boys, and it says, "Hello, Juice Boys, can you post an original meme to make me look cool for the upcoming primary Democratic pi- primary?" And then Juice Boys says, uh, "I don't think so. To be honest, your vibe is kind of off." And then Michael Bloomberg responds, "I put Lamborghini doors on the Escalade," and then grape juice boys say what and then the, okay, the, so caption, the caption is then paid for michael bloomberg that's the whole meme that's the meme it's- so did the great okay this is i feel like my brain's about to explode i feel like i'm in the movie scanners so did grapefruit boys grape juice boys grape juice boys did they actually comment 
on a Michael Bloomberg message or from a Bloomberg staffer or is this is a pure fabrication. All, all of this is obviously okay. so. There but, was no organic conversation. No, there was with, no organic conversation. But it looks it looks like a screenshot that a conversation with Michael Bloomberg. And the thing about this, it's like. Um, how is this different than what the Russians were being blamed for in 2016? I, I just so okay. So well, so let me let me say this. Um, I mean, obviously he's an American. I understand the difference, but I, what I'm saying is, it seems like we took some lessons from the Kremlin, and we were like, meme war it is. So what they're doing is they're you know, according to Evan Reeves, the creative director for Jerry Media. He said they're trying to devise an unconventional campaign and to build a self-aware, ironic character around Mr. Bloomberg. So they're kind of they've made, and the character seems to be like a combination of Michael Scott and Mr. Bean. So it's sort of like bumbling, uh, like doesn't know how to do anything correct, and but is very like uh, he's very aspirational and he thinks he's cool, but he would like everyone to think that he is cool. And so there is this thing where it's like I'm not cool, make me cool. I acknowledge that I'm not cool, but I'm also giving you money. And then the more you joke about it, the more you poke fun at it, the more you play into this sort of sticky game where you're talking about Bloomberg. I mean, we're doing it now, unfortunately. You can't talk about it without playing into the game, the meta game of talking about Bloomberg. That's we, his whole thing. And we have this conversation uh, a little bit later on in this episode, actually coming up very shortly here with our with our uh, discussion uh, with director of Get Me Roger Stone or co-director of the documentary Get Me Roger Stone, Dylan Bank. When it comes to the messaging, the powerful messaging, uh, you know, that we've seen on social media, how Alex Jones, how um, Roger Stone, how uh, Donald Trump have been able to use social media messaging uh, for their own political gains. So it looks like Bloomberg being being a media mogul. Obviously, he has a lot of media minds around him. Looks like Bloomberg is taking a chapter out of their book, trying to go in through the back end and attract voters by using by kind of like annoying them i mean right. it, it's it's this kind of it's uh he thinks he's doing a hansel and gretel thing with like candy where you like lead a bunch of children into an oven but what he's doing is blanketing every surface that your eyeballs comes in contact with to the point where you can't not think about him he is living inside your mind. Do you think that Kurt Douglas, we mentioned this on this week's side stories, Kurt Douglas, obviously RIP, 103 years <laughs> yes. old, great life lived. Um, <laughs> but evidently his last words or some of his last words were, Mike, Mike can get it done. Yeah, that was- and I'm wondering, though, <laughs> uh, and that was uh, reiterated by Kurt Douglas, was that sp- was that paid? <laughs> was that paid content? And I'm like, not even. No, I did think Kurt Douglas sell his last words. Well, the thing is, uh, Bloomberg is only paying these influencers who are, by the way, many of them are like 15 year olds. So he's paying them like $150 a pop to sort of ride their cool person coat way or coattails on right. Instagram. So did, <laughs> yeah, did Kirk Douglas get like a $150 check to, to say that it, his dad- On his deathbed. His dad gave a rosebud speech that involved the phrase, Mike can get, can get it done. Like I don't know. Michael Douglas, we're asking you, buddy, did your father get paid to say Mike can get it done And then Henry sent us a text uh, or sent us a screenshot of an article where uh, I guess Kirk Douglas replaced- <laughs> Very quickly, soon after his father's death, uh, death, he got a dog. He got a new puppy. Yes, he got a new puppy. Yeah, so. they named it. They named it Bloomberg. L- uh, little Mikey. So that is be aware of that. I guess that's sort of what today's episode is all about. We talk about uh, this with Dylan as well. Be aware of the marketing as you see it going on. Um, just 
there's always going to be uh, someone naive who falls for it, who is susceptible to it. Just be aware that the Bloomberg campaign is going meme crazy. Uh, that is how he is going to be. It's not attracting a, people and trying to get them out to the polls. It is not a sort of it is not a trifle though. It is not like nonsense uh, in the sense that he is spending so much money on oh, this. Oh, there's a reason he for is it. Marketing works. 4.5 million dollars on social media shit a she, day. A day. Damn. A day. He is dwarfing Trump's Ooh. digital strategy campaign, which is notorious for uh, it's extravagant spending. Yeah. So he has outdone Trump already in this in this lead up, this nine month lead up to the election. And four point six million on memes per day is that is a well a lot of that, ass load of a lot money. of that is Facebook too. He's Facebook. literally stealing the space, the real estate on not steal. He's really That's a great point. He's literally buying the real estate from Trump on this. You know, on Facebook, which way to think of it, which too, has yeah. limited amount of room to plaster ads on. Right, he's right, buying yeah. that space. I, I suppose it is the cyber equivalent of your lawn sign, right? Yeah, he's he's putting his lawn sign. He, he's like, putting it's like a much you bigger wake up lawn and, sign in front of Trump's lawn sign. It's like you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you go outside and you realize that your neighbor who is running for office just put like R- Randy Richards like all, lawn signs all over your front yard and you're like. All right, well. Yeah. Great. I have to look at this until I, I click the X and I pick these up and I throw them in the trash, which I believe is a felony. Um, but he is, I mean, this is unprecedented. This has never been, this has never happened in um, sort of election history. And he's, uh, Bloomberg is sort of making the gamble. He's betting that um, our traditional electoral system doesn't matter. It's stupid and money wins. That In the end, Well, money, I wonder why money, he would think that. Money can shape reality. And I am, I am frankly uh alarmed because i believe in the power of money i'm afraid of what money can do damn right and Uh, we're about to find out what a man with uh i guess what is it 56 billion dollars it might as well be 80 might as well right it doesn't matter uh what that money can do to a contest yep well obviously he's had to circum he circumvented an entire year and a half of work already just putting himself, as I mentioned earlier, like the little cowboy kid in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, zapped himself on television. It definitely helps when you're a media mogul. He is trying to transform the way that we do elections, and this is how a billionaire runs for office. This is how a real billionaire runs for office. Unlike Donald Trump, regardless of what we all think of him or you know whatever it might be, at least he went out and campaigned, had big crowds. At least he likes to speak to the people. It is what it is. Uh, but at least he did some grassroots work. Bloomberg taking it to the next level, sitting at home and letting all these kids shoot memes over the internet. Uh, and I'm sure that he doesn't fully understand uh, these platforms, but uh, he's definitely has people. He definitely has people around him that do, and they are doing a great job. You know, of this getting is, the name of Bloomberg out there. At a certain point, this is psychological warfare because, it and, but it's working because also. You know, as our media is so lazy, they let the Internet wag the dog. Yeah. And so the media looks at it and the media just follows all the meme trends. And the media then has been reporting that is Bloomberg Biden 2.0 is Bloomberg the savior. I'm like, he's gotten zero votes. He has zero delegates. I don't see the I don't see the appeal in a Mike Bloomberg candidacy for a Democratic nomination in a grassroots vibe, a counterculture vibe, anti-billionaire sort of sentiment going on right now resonating within the democratic party and the democratic base i don't see 
I don't see it. But uh, you ask mainstream media, and they say he's the second coming of Biden, which is probably not a great thing. No, it's not. Uh, what I am sort of trying to anticipate by the by, like twenty twenty one, January nineteenth, right? Bloomberg does not get elected president; does not get anywhere near it. But he has spent, let's say, three billion dollars on advertising. Is it the kind of thing where you know wh- whether you know it's Sanders who's president, whether it's Trump who's reelected? Are we going to be like? In our souls, is there going to be a crater where he has just meme bombed us so heavily that it changes like the structure of our language, the way we well, think? Well, absolutely will. The way that like is will. Gmail is- going to be called Bloom Mail? Like what? What are the weird aftershock effects of doing so much plastering of advertising to the point where it is on every surface, well, every every digital surface that, or every surface in general? Uh, if you're looking at buses and and billboards and stuff. The power of advertising is very, very real. So uh, he knows that. Um, just lastly, big takeaways for me. I'm sure Travis and I will differ on this. I think the biggest winner of the past two of the first two primary states was Buttigieg. No one expected him to do as well in Iowa. And then New Hampshire, a second place for him is actually pretty good. And then my second, I think Sanders is performing as well as people expected. Uh, my least, the people that I think have fallen off, and Klobuchar, she's she's doing better kind of filling that moderate lane. I think Elizabeth Warren is going to drop out after South Carolina because she doesn't have any black support. Uh, and I think Joe Biden, if he gets third, which I think that he most likely will in South Carolina because Bernie does have a significant uh, support amongst the African-American community. Do not expect a big black voter turnout. If you look at 2016, it had around half of what the uh, the black voter turnout was when Obama was on the ballot. Uh, you can infer into that whatever you'd like. Politics are a very interesting thing. But the big winners are Buttigieg, Bernie, and Klobuchar. Losers, Warren, Biden, and obviously Andrew Yang. Not a loser in my book. Uh, a winner and got very far, but uh, could no longer sustain. I think Sanders is going to go the distance. I, he is a crazy broad coalition of minority, young voters, old voters, uh, women, men. It's, uh, I, you know, you love to see it. But... I also like the fact, you know, I'm leaning into the fact that uh, the the media is attacking him and sort of trying to discombobulate the conversation about him because I think a lot of people are wiser to agree. Def- to uh, reject it wholesale and see ban- see Sanders as the anti-establishment uh, candidate. Sometimes having the media go against you is a good because thing. There's this amazing clip of this woman uh, in New Hampshire, and she's about she's getting uh, interviewed by. Uh, an MSNBC reporter and they come up to her and say oh who are you voting for and she's like oh I was having a tricky time trying to figure it out but I think I landed on somebody because uh, MSNBC actually convinced me to to go with Sanders and he was like oh really that's amazing and and she said uh, yeah you guys shat on him constantly for no good reason so I'm voting for Bernie Sanders absolutely that is a uh, so I say keep keep going with this like weird uh, trying to hamstring Bernie Sanders thing all right so you never know sometimes your enemies uh, if people don't like your enemies more than they don't like you then you will get their support planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning plus the true accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation don't put off learning that language there's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off that's 50% off unlimited 
unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. All right, now it's time for our interview with co-director of Get Me, Roger Stone, Dylan Bank. Dylan, thank you for being on the show. Great to be here. So you got this documentary, which I, no exaggeration, have seen about 10 times. Travis I've, has seen I've twice. seen it twice, yeah. Oh, I'm loving it. Get Me, Roger Stone. It is a compelling documentary. Peels back the curtain on the mastermind that is Roger Stone. Is he a mastermind? Does he trump it up? Who the hell knows? But nonetheless, he is a significant character in American politics and has been for over 30 years. He is described as the sinister Forrest Gump of American politics. <laughs> Although I don't think I don't think Roger Stone would have like a, a Bubba analog. I don't think he would have a Bubba particularly. Well, I think he hangs out with a lot of people who love shrimp. Um, all right. <laughs> so let's just start at the beginning. Obviously, Roger Stone, right now he's in the, he is back in the headlines. He's looking at nine years in the clink. I'm not sure if that Richard Nixon tattoo is going to help him out in there. Maybe it'll make him seem just crazy enough not to be messed with. But let's go back. You're thinking about doing a documentary. How the hell do you stumble upon this character that has been underground for a long time, ever since the scandal in the 90s in American politics? How do you stumble on making a documentary about Roger Stone? Well, I had already been working with my co-directors of Get Me Roger Stone, Morgan Pekma and Dan DeMauro, on my previous films. And Morgan read an article about Roger in The New Yorker by Jeffrey Tubin and just generally became aware of him by being involved in politics so much. And, uh, you know, told me about him. And we ended up filming something, an event where he was at, where he was just, you know, it was this little event, but he shows up in a $7,000 suit. Of course. All weird, making funny remarks and just clearly someone worth paying attention to. And the more I learned about Roger, I realized I had voted for one of his candidates. Which one? Kristen Davis. No kidding. Yeah, it was a protest candidate, kind of like a joke candidate. Yes. And I had gotten some propaganda in the mail, legalize everything. And, right. You know, kind of like this funny stick it to the system stuff. And then I was reading about Roger. I was like, oh, my God, the Nixon guy got me, the liberal, to vote for his candidate. Right. He well, got to me. Well, and it, it must feel a little bit, like, discouraging because the way he talks about voters um, is the same way that, like, an advertising executive would talk about, like, some idiot who you're selling, uh, like, Skittles to. He really, he really does think of the voter as, like, someone to sell a product to. So to then be... The person who is who hook line and sinker with that candidate must it must feel discouraging after the fact to know him a little bit better. Exactly, and to see how well it works in the field. Yeah. Um, well, there's yep. a reason that people have political operatives. Obviously, they get things done. Uh, we were talking earlier in this episode about Michael Bloomberg, his meme campaign, messaging matters, marketing matters, and that's why people spend billions and billions of dollars on it. So when it comes to Roger Stone, your buddy approaches you. He's like, I know this dude, Roger Stone. You got to come and check him out. He shows up, as you said, in a $7,000 suit to a function full of people probably wearing sweatpants, <laughs> just because that's the kind of guy Roger Stone is. What was it about uh, his presentation or his performance that made you say, okay, I'm going to dedicate countless hours of my life documenting this man and then what was well, and then of course throughout this interview we can talk about what you learned about him, what you think about uh, the current uh, iteration of Roger Stone, but what was it initially that you're like, alright, I'm willing to stare at this weird man's head 
for a long time. <laughs> well, uh, we didn't actually plan to shoot the, the movie for five and a half years. That kind of happened spontaneously. Okay. As um, it does. Yeah, <laughs> spontaneously over five years. Yeah, the documentary world's a bitch, let me tell you. Mm. But um, uh, really, it was that the three of us saw this as a chance and Roger's story uh, to tell the story of American politics from the Dirty Trickster's backroom perspective. Right. And, you know, most dirty tricksters, they're in the shadows trying to hide everything. And Roger certainly does that plenty. But re- usually when you come up to them and you say, you know, did you do this? Or they go, oh, no, no. That was the other person who did the dirty trick. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm completely clean. Roger's one of the few people who will grab the mic and be like, I destroyed you. <laughs> right. And I'm proud of it. So he's and not so, like, it, it's not like uh, the Karl Rove campaign against John McCain that said that he had a, uh, a black daughter out of wedlock and like they did in 2000. So that McCain could, uh, or that, so that Bush rather could get the Republican nomination. Can you explain? So those are just some of those so called dirty tricks. Can you explain? Some like what does that look like in practicality? A political dirty trick because they talk about the um, the triple shot in the documentary mm-hmm. where you manage to screw over every single one of your enemies with one or two political moves. <laughs> Can you kind of give some insight into the mind of Roger Stone when it comes to planning a dirty political trick and what does that look like? Well, let me just jump right to what might be his greatest political dirty trick. Um, which is him destroying uh, the Reform Party in 2000, Ross Perot's Reform Party. The perception by a lot of the people on the right was what happened with Bill Clinton was that Ross Perot stole votes from the right, whether or not this is true or not, this was their perception, and they saw him as a big threat in the 2000 election. Mm -hmm. And so Roger admitted to us that he basically was sent in with Donald Trump on one hand and with Pat Buchanan on the other to create chaos within the nomination, to run it in a real circus-like way, bring its respectability down, insult each other, just create a big, ugly mess. And then ultimately, Trump didn't even run, but he really bashed all the people with Roger Stone standing over his shoulder, smiling the whole time. And of course, Pat Buchanan was then the nominee for the Reform Party. Also with Roger Stone smiling over his shoulder the whole time. Also with Roger Stone there in the background, looming, watching as uh, his work is being performed in front of him uh, through these two political vessels. Um, And of course, Pat Buchanan, Donald Trump called him a Nazi a whole bunch, which is quite ironic in modern uh, times. And Pat Buchanan got around 1% of the vote. He was extremely embarrassed and the Reform Party was no longer a true opposition party to the Republican Party. But he didn't get 1% by going out there campaigning and flopping. He basically did not campaign. He won and then stayed at home. And this was somebody who was out on the scene as a political commentator, who was just, you know, constantly working as a political gadfly, as a political professional. And during the time where he should have been out there the most, he was very conspicuously absent. Okay. And some people have claimed Roger Stone was blackmailing him. I've seen no evidence of that. Um, but, you know, with Roger's character, it doesn't sound completely impossible. But like right. I said, it, it seems more likely that they were all in on it together. So when it comes to someone like a Roger Stone, how little can they be trusted? Is there any moral compass to someone like Roger Stone? Because obviously that's sort of where we are now. Uh, We're seeing him getting, you know, obviously went on trial, found guilty, looking at a a hell of a sentence. Most likely it's pardoned anyway. But what is the moral compass for someone like a Roger Stone? Is it? uh, Tell me. Well, in the personal realm, Roger's a really normal person. He's right. 
uh, stepchildren love him and even took on uh, their name as his uh, his name as their last name. Uh, one of his daughters did that a few months before she was married and took on her husband's name just to prove a point of how much she thought Roger was her father. Mm-hmm. And he's just in general, he's really loyal to his friends when they're down and out. He'll let them stay at his place. And everyone's always surprised to hear that. And that's partly because what Roger does and also what Trump does and a lot of those people is like professional wrestling to them. Right. And uh, not not totally. It's not that they don't believe the things that they're saying, but that character that they put on when they go out there and, you know, rant and rave and call everyone mm-hmm. murderers and child molesters. That's partly what allows them to go so far and be so evil and right. say that stuff because, hell, it's all fair in love and politics, right? I mean, during the course of Get Me Roger Stone, we see Roger Stone sort of observing the Trump election and everything. It, he He's always at a distance, and that's obvi- for obvious reasons. You can't have access to those private moments between Trump and Roger Stone. What, as a viewer um, who was unfamiliar with Roger Stone to begin with, I guess, what are the tangible ways in which Roger Stone has directly affected Trump's policy or, like, how he campaigned? Is is he actually giving him, like, no, beat-by-beat notes, like, do this, do this, do this? Because we don't see that in the, the documentary, but it is sort of um, alluded to that he has the strings a little bit and has uh, has af- affected the way that Trump thinks about uh, campaigning. Um, well, certainly. Yeah. We kind of likened it to Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Right. That he was there from the very beginning. Their bit and their act was always been very similar. Roger was the one pointing it in a political dire- direction for Trump for so long. And he kind of created this beast. He created this monster. And then right when it came to fruition, he got kicked out and the monster went on a rampage. Okay. Right. <laughs> right, right, and right, so right. certainly that was actually the real falling out that he had was after the first Republican debate. Where, in my personal opinion, even at the moment, I called it out. I said, guys, Trump is going to win. Like, he is kicking their asses. Roger did not have that reaction at first. Roger's reaction was very similar to the uh, regular establishment, was Trump should play it more straight. You should listen to me. I know what I'm talking about because Mm. I'm Roger Stone. Trump was like, "Uh, no, I'm going to do it my way. Screw you. Yeah, but by that point, he was, like, strangling the little girl, and the the villagers were, like, (laughs) coming with the torches. I forgot I'm with horror guys. You actually get these references. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So we have a situation where Roger Stone in some bizarre, perverted world was almost seen as the established. He had the establishment mind in the Trump campaign. Well, that's the the ultimate reality that we're talking about now is that those guys were the outsiders for a long time. Exactly. Of course, Stone, he's been underground for a long time. He was doing everyone's dirty deeds uh, behind the scenes. But are you telling me that Stone in this world, in Trump world, is the rational thinker? God, no. No, no, no. Okay. Roger is the master campaigner. Okay. Roger was trying to get uh, Trump to go a little bit more towards the middle and do a slightly more traditional campaign because that's how he thought he could mind manipulate the voters into getting Trump into office. Okay. Now, in retrospect, he looks back and says, of course, he did it his way and he was right because he won. All, it's it's a yes or no. It's a binary zero or one for, for American elections. You either get in or you don't. As Roger always says, it's a winner-take-all system, so do whatever you can to win. That was their main disagreement. Okay. And let's not forget what Roger then did after he was kicked out. He led the smear campaign against Hillary Clinton. He would get crowds together, whipping them up, shouting, uh, chanting, lock her up, lock her up. Not just because she was a backdoor politician, which he also focused on, but because he said Bill and Hillary Clinton were serial killers. Right. And of course, you had the Bill Clinton, the very famous Bill Clinton rape poster. Uh, Roger Stone 
for being so underground politically, he was also very above ground when it came to his activism. Do you find that that was something that went along perfect with Trump as this sort of like duality when it comes to Donald Trump? He can go out there and he can talk about the policies and the way that he talks about it. And then you have someone who can just focus on the most disgusting intangibles of his political opponent, someone like Roger Stone. How choreographed was that? Or was that Stone and Trump just improvising together from afar? Uh, I don't think that was choreographed at all. That was certainly when, after what I was just talking about before, when they disagreed over the debate, um, they, uh, Roger says that he quit. Trump says that he fired him. We always imagined it. The phone call went like, hey, uh, Roger, it's Donald. And uh, you're, f-, and then uh, Roger was like, I quit. Click. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> of course. Um, but so I think that was really more spontaneous. Uh, Roger knew what to do. He knew just to, he, he wanted to stick with Trump, even though he got kicked out. He was going to to ride that pony all the way to the sunset um, or ride it all the way to hell, whichever one it, it, it happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're both very bright places. <laughs> but so. just talking about being the smear uh, factor, that's actually something that goes back to the early 80s with Black Manafort and Stone. Right. That's what packs. I wanted to get to. Because yeah. that's the whole thing with the super PAC is that they made the, it so that they could be the attack dogs that you had kind of like not anonymous well, I guess I take it back anonymous attack dogs <laughs> yes so when it comes to Manafort and Stone and uh, what is it Black yeah, yeah Black Manafort and Stone um, and then Atwater for a time also yeah Atwater and then he dipped out and went more mainstream I guess how does the world look if they never come into the picture how do American politics look without Paul Manafort and without Roger Stone um, is it it, was it inevitable but that someone was going to go and find this power vacuum and fill it? Or do you think we would just live in a more civilized political world without them? <laughs> oh, the utopia we would be yeah. in. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, of course, those are unknowable things, but I think... Uh, certain concepts like being the super PAC attack dog, I think would have eventually come out in uh, in some way. Um, it's hard to say because people there is no other Roger Stone out there. You know, there's right. no there's people there are other dirty tricksters. There's other um, people that have done all sorts of underhanded, backhanded things. And of course, many of them we don't even know. They don't come to light. But. Paul Manafort, Lee Atwater, those guys really had this special juice and they used it at a time where they were the only ones in the position to do it because of their political connections and their history. So, I mean, certainly the reason why we made the documentary to begin with was because we do see without them that the world of politics in America and then the world at large would be far less scarred. And would be far less swampy, basically, because they were that was what we're talking about in the early 80s. That was the the creation of the swamp. Right. And so I guess uh, the more I think about it, it certainly seems extremely unlikely that uh, things would be worse without those guys. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So in the documentary, you talk about how Stone is working with despots all over the world. He's working with the worst dictators that the world has ever seen. That didn't land him in jail. That was like everyone was like, congratulations, here's a bunch of money. You've done your job. But now we get to Roger Stone actually being charged with a crime. Uh, I suppose let's talk about the sentencing. What did you think about uh, the raid? Let's begin with the raid on Stone's home. Yes. Because we all, we all wanted to see him in his undies. Yeah. And that- we got to see it. And it was really wonderful. Um, so talk about the raid. Talk about what you were thinking as the documentarian. The man who knows Roger Stone very well when the raid occurred at his home in Florida. 
well, and there had been writings on the wall that there was it was going to happen. I mean, they keep saying, you know, CNN had to have been tipped off. I mean, you know. Yeah, ev- they were there at like everyone, four in the morning or something, right? But it or, was kind of, you know, we, it, it was just smelled in the air. Gotcha, yeah. That it was going to happen. Um, but still, certainly, it's very dramatic. And, uh, you know, some people say it was overboard. Um, with Roger, it's not impossible. He would do a uh, shredding uh, marathon if they knock on the door. You know, it's not like he's... But, and, but also, people kind of confuse him a little bit with Paul Manafort, who's a little bit more like the international spy type guy. Like yeah, I yeah, had yeah, multiple, yeah. Uh, you know, international bank accounts. They all turned out to be like negative 50 million. But, In a way, uh, Roger Stone is more patriotic than Paul Manafort <laughs> then, right? By some measures, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Roger's not the guy who has five passports and can like yeah, disappear, right. you know. Do you think that he was truly surprised, though, when they did bang down his door as if they were getting El Chapo? And do you think he was like, damn, guys? I, I probably yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's you know an older guy. He's a pretty established character at this point. I mean, can you imagine Roger Stone on the run? I mean, <laughs> no, <that'd> be, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> That's just like a, a laughable concept to think of him. Do you think that he ever thought it was possible that they were going to knock down his door and actually arrest him? Absolutely. He Roger uh, just bumbled himself right into this. He had every opportunity to figure out his answers in his normal Roger Stone way that dances in the gray area of legality and illegality and impropriety. And instead, he just blatantly lied and then uh, texted his lies to somebody and then texted him to back up his lies in the middle of an FBI probe. And this is someone from the Nixon era. You're supposed to be committing your crimes in a dark basement lit only by the orange glow of your cigarette. And if anyone, <laughs> right. Roger should know that. And so I, when I read the indictment and all the actual details of it, it was my first reaction was like, Roger, you got so lazy. What did were you, you thinking? Did you want to get caught? Like, uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It, well, that's a good question. I want, is did, this a did part, he want to get is caught? Is this a, another part of his mythology building to be captured and then released <laughs> inevitably by, by Trump and his and his attorney general? You know? I, mean, I don't think so because it's bad for business. Uh, it's to be in a year. I mean, he's sucked into the justice system. It just drains every dollar. Right. Oh, every my God. Day. He can't work now. He's not allowed to go on Infowars and spend all of his crazy crap and sell what? his stories no. and his books of his alt uh, history books. He can't hang out with his friend Alex. That sucks. <laughs> oh no, they can hang out, and then Alex then says the things that he uh, that Roger can't say on the right. air for him. Well, let's definitely talk about that world in a second. But when it comes to Roger Stone, just the indictment briefly, can you just sort of break down what was the indictment? What did they actually catch sure. him on? Uh, because this whole thing. Oh, my God. We've been talking so much about all of this stuff. So just what 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 are the key takeaways from you, in your opinion, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that really stuck to Roger Stone? Well, this links right back to what we were talking about before when Roger got kicked out of the campaign. Uh, he was really trying to get back in. And the truly way, trying to get back in all of definitely. that, because that's the thing now you like with these people. It's like, is he really kicked out? Does he really want to get back in? Like they just blur the line so much. And it, that's why people feel like they're getting gaslit. Yeah, because we just don't know what the truth is. So he mm-hmm. truly was. He was out of the campaign. Trump was like, get the hell out of here. And he was groveling, trying to get back in. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wouldn't say groveling. Uh, he still had a lifeline to Trump and they definitely communicated. And uh, he was influencing him, and he was definitely consulting with with uh, Stone, um, like you guys mentioned uh, the thing with like the rapists at uh, uh, the the people who had accused uh, Bill Clinton of rape. Yes. That was Roger who orchestrated yes. that whole thing. When he brought Catherine, uh, Willie, the whole yeah, all so four of them. They weren't like fighting in on the outs. 
But, you know, Roger wanted more influence. Roger wants to be the guy at the, the center of power. Okay. And so Roger was really selling himself as the person who had the in to WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. Mm. Because they had had a tacit relationship over the years. But as we discovered, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks just never really trusted Roger. And never actually gave him some inside line or anything like that. He was largely just BSing that. And mm. uh, this was no secret that Roger loved WikiLeaks. He and Alex Jones were holding publicity events for their releases of the, the hacked emails on InfoWars. I mean, <laughs> this is yeah. uh, only a little bit later did he become radioactive. So you don't think the WikiLeaks connection between Stone, although he wanted it to be super hardcore and intense and really uh, truthful and intimate. And of course, that's what the that's what the federal government charged him with. Uh, but you don't think that that really mm -hmm. was that intense of a relationship? Well, that's just the thing. That is not what the federal government charged him with. Okay, all they charged him with was lying about it. And it seems like ah, was about lying, lying about the relationship. to Congress. That's the whole okay. thing. He, it, for, you know, you you have to read between the lines. It seems like he was lying about how much he told Donald Trump, because that would have been a, a Russia connection that they could have linked and said, you know, this was the Russian collusion. Roger kind of in many ways was trying to do the Russian collusion and didn't succeed. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, at least didn't succeed in a way that was like demonstrably provable that he had, you know, some great connection uh, any more than the public release, uh, releases uh, of WikiLeaks. Have you, uh, just to circle back to the documentary a little bit, have you seen um, American Dharma, the Errol Morris oh, documentary? You know, I actually, I, I have not yet. I love uh, Errol Morris. I have not seen that one yet. So it's a documentary about Steve Bannon. Yes. And in true Errol, Errol Morris fashion, he sort of just lets um, he lets Steve Bannon sort of tell his own story and does not really kind of contradict him or challenge him too much. Um, although if you said that to Errol Morris, he apparently he blows up at you and gets very angry for saying that. But uh, but that's sort of his style uh, in all of his documentaries. Uh, what was your approach to sort of, quote unquote, dealing with Roger Stone in the moment? He's he definitely probably took his own he, he kind of like wanted to push the narrative of your movie in one direction did you push back did you, was it was it anything like that or, or oh absolutely absolutely yeah. you know certainly roger's a very difficult person to interview because he's such an expert and he's a master at spinning right and whenever you really put pressure on him and try to be like tell us this tell he falls back on his propaganda so you can't really push him in that regard you have to um, uh, we just had the great advantage of being able to spend time with him, to be able to get really nuanced points out of him, to see him in different circumstances, and get him to also talk about his own propaganda in a more third-person way. Yeah. Right. But, you know, certainly one of the biggest moments um, I mentioned earlier when he talked about tanking the Reform Party, and that was at a very personal moment. We were eating lunch uh, when we've been spending the whole day together. And some people even think it's a hidden camera because the camera angle is so weird. We just laid it on the <laughs> table, but we're all just like sitting there eating hamburgers. And that was the the one moment Roger admitted to us that he did indeed tank the, the reform party with um, Trump and uh, Pat Buchanan. And right. that was just like a very kind of offhanded, very personal moment where he yeah. felt comfortable enough to say that. So it seems like he, obviously he exaggerates. We cover serial killers on last podcast on the left, and oftentimes they'll be arrested and they'll claim that they did necrophilia and they'll, they'll claim they did a whole <laughs> bunch of worse things than they actually did. And you're like, why the hell would someone claim that they did something worse than they did? But in that world, it's a sort of credit mm, in some strange it's shockingly way. Common. So you loom so, larger yeah. than life. Yeah, you yeah. loom larger than life. So now you have the WikiLeaks situation. He's lying to Congress. He gets indicted. Uh, you have the trial. Do you feel like at any point he was like, God damn, man, what if I just didn't like exaggerate my connection with these people? 
Um, oh, absolutely. You I know, think like, you're asking what he was thinking on the morning of the raid. <laughs> yeah, what uh, do you maybe think? it was that. <laughs> that was, so you like, feel like oh, he, my big mouth. <laughs> do you really feel like he felt that? Well, Roger has had his mouth flame him out many times. I mean, there's this kind of burning energy Roger has, this political fire in him that drives him to get got him to be a political prodigy in the Nixon campaign when he was 17. Yes. Also, the same thing that gets him to mouth off on drunken phone calls and get fired and get kicked out of uh, you know mainstream politics. He yes. kind of has this repeating cycle in his life of going up and hit you know succeeding and getting to the top and then overdoing it and then bottoming out and having to reinvent himself so do you think I, in those is, moments he i think he does think god what have i done i need to rethink what i'm going to do next is it just boredom is it i'm serious like is it because obviously he he views life as a theatrical event yes you know like all the world's a stage that's kind stone's of stone's rule stone's rule so like, the world's a stage be in costume yes it, is that absolutely. one of the stone rules yes um so the arrest happens. He's like, damn, all right, well, this is going to go down. And then all of a sudden, he's looking at about two years incarcerated, right? But as, as the trial continues, he continues to go on social media and rant and rave. Uh, do you feel like he had any sense that that was truly going to be detrimental? Or does he have sort of the mind where it's like, I firmly believe there's an older generation who are like, I just said it on social media. I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. I just said it on yeah. Instagram and Twitter exactly. and Facebook videos, whatever it might be. Do you no, feel like he I, I think that was a misstep. I think uh, he that was a huge mistake to threaten the judge. And yeah. he, um, you know, but does he under did he? Under, I, it. No, I think you're right. I think he does think like, oh, I'll, I'll just I'll just threaten him online it's where, fine. where it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't where it's not count. real. <laughs> I don't know. These guys are masters of social media. Roger and Trump, uh, they're older guys, but that's what they really tapped into right away. Uh, they, they, that's part of what's so surprising about all this. Same thing with him texting his, uh, his lies and his threats. Uh, you should have known better, Roger. You're the yeah, guy right. who has millions of followers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the true accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today and then of course so he gets the, all of the enhancement charges and now he's looking at nine mm -hmm. years because he was well he, he texted some threats to a dude with the last name credico <laughs> yes well he threatened to kill <laughs> credico's dog which you cannot even make that up he didn't actually he threatened to take away his dog yes and okay we, oh, we, yes. we interviewed uh, randy credico and filmed him in action many times for the documentary as well uh he's quite a character and he and Roger, uh, they have a, an oddly similar relationship to Trump, uh, Roger and Trump, in the, just in the one regard that they are friends and hang out and joke around sometimes, and then other times are feuding and insulting each other. And it just seems like Adam Sandler's character from Uncut Gems when he has to deal with his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law <laughs> is constantly trying to kick his ass, and then inevitably uh, something horrible happens. I mean, it's just such a strange relationship all of these guys seem Roger to have Stone with one another. Does have a, a Howie Bling he sort does, of vibe? Just, actually, now that I'm thinking about the, it, the perspirate. How does he continue to not publicly perspirate, publicly sweat? <laughs> he just seems like he's constantly running from one place to another. Uh -huh. Roger, Stone, Roger Stone is the embodiment of. That meme, the "this is how I win" meme, like he he is always scheming yeah. and flipping and 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 placing all his chips on the table. Like he, 
Mm-hmm. He's totally Howard Bling from from Uncut Gems. But I mean, like in that circumstance, what I think got him the nine year recommendation um, was that his hyperbole and the way that he and Randy and just Roger in general just like they bark at each other got swept up into the FBI probe. And Rogers, you know, one of those big muscly dudes with a annoying yappy little dog, and he's just a general dog lover. There was no actual chance Roger was going to grab Randy's dog and snap his neck and say, right. you know, keep your mouth shut. It was more like, um, you know, but, but a threat from Roger is can still be a serious threat. I mean, when Roger goes after someone, he can put posters in your neighborhood calling you a child molester. Right. So we have Stone now. His big mouth is getting him in trouble. He's looking at more time than he probably even deserves, even though he's a total scumbag. Can you talk a little bit about his history with the legal system and just this FBI probe in general? When it comes to the Mueller uh, report, when it comes to the Mueller investigation, obviously it had wide reaching tentacles and it seems like they got everyone they could. Uh, They swept up as many people as they could because they couldn't get Donald Trump. Do you think it's fair that Manafort and Stone, um, maybe Flynn or these other folks, do you think that they got a harsher sentence because they can't get the big fish that is Donald Trump? No, I actually don't think so. I think uh, this group of people have a win-at-all-costs attitude. Paul Manafort, you mentioned the uh, the so-called torturers lobby, which was just to, to qualify what you were saying before, was never officially illegal. They only went after people. Uh, uh, they only hired um, foreign dictators and uh, the, quote, torturers uh, uh, crew uh, that were officially approved by Congress and the Reagan administration. And they just had a habit of saying yes to any um, pro-democracy psychopaths at the mm-hmm. time. But uh, one of the things that they really did in that era was go to the Ukraine and Russia. Right. And I won't go into it's a very long, complicated story, but Roger basically came back and Paul Manafort stayed over there. Okay. And Paul Manafort was the guy, the, the Karl Rove to the, uh, the Zelensky, the, the president of Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine before he got deposed because he was like the pro-Russian guy. And just to right. give you an example of what life was like <clears throat> for the politics in Ukraine, they are now currently turning the presidential mansion into a museum of corruption. Because it included a zoo and a bell that would get a prostitute or liquor to come whenever he wanted. Well, wow, that rocks. M- many other lavish uh, <laughs> uh, taxpayer-paid things. So that that wasn't Manafort's world, but that, uh, excuse me, uh, house. That was the president's house, but that was the world that they were operating in. So it was really when uh, uh, Roger Stone had a great hand in installing Paul Manafort as the campaign manager of right. Donald Trump that it's really impossible to deny that there's a, a Russian connection. Paul Manafort was... Uh, has been caught soliciting it. <laughs> right. And they just weren't able to put Donald Trump's fingerprint directly on it. So how much do you think the Russians actually influenced the election in 2016? Um, well, I mean, as far as their, you know, uh, smear campaign online and their manipulation campaign of uh, Facebook and things like that, it seems very clear it was effective. I mean, you know, it's right. like this, these these unknowable things, exactly how much it tipped. But, you know, those that's... A, incredibly intelligent group of manipulators. I mean, I'm not a great expert in the history of the USSR, but I know enough uh, that they were absolute masters of mind control and of chaos, and they have, you know, just really kept that going in a big way in recent time. So you mentioned Alex Jones, and I want to talk about Roy Cohen, Roy, Roy Cohn at some point here in the near future, but you talked about Alex Jones. And it seems like everything lined up like a perfect storm. Alex Jones, Infowars was on the rise. He gave 
Trump a brand new audience of conspiracy-minded folks who felt disenfranchised, uh, maybe not the most economically stable. And then you got someone like Roger Stone who saw the Alex Jones audience and began to salivate. Do you feel like the world just caught up with Roger Stone? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, Exactly. People like Roger are um, uh, the the trendsetters. Um, And, you know, he was a little bit ahead of his time. This week got pushed to the outside. He was the freak. And then before they knew it, uh, the freaks took over the the insane asylum. Right. Um, And that was really one of Roger's great geniuses was identifying that alt media and tapping into social media really quickly and finding that uh, that kind of, you know, tributary in American life that was growing and growing. And he positioned himself right next to Alex Jones as the real political expert in the field of, you know, their conspiracies. So it legitimized Alex Jones in a way. Mm-hmm. But do you think, is it, I guess, to be fair to them, Did Alex Jones create the audience or did the audience create Alex Jones? And sort of when it comes to Roger Stone, did Roger Stone come up with the Stones rules? Obviously, hate is more powerful than love. Those sorts of things. Do you feel like he wouldn't believe those things unless society sort of told him that those were the truths of of the world, specifically of this country? Well, Roger and Alex Jones are, are quite different. Um, Roger is an expert in the history of dirty tricks, and he, uh, you know, was uh, the men, uh, the um, uh, Roy Cohn was his mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the person he hasn't even quite lived up to <laughs> in the realm of of evil dirty tricks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, Roger's uh, the Stones rules. A lot of them Roger came up with, and a lot of them are famous lines. You know, one of them is from Gore Vidal: "Never right. give up a chance to have sex or be on television," and you know, just things from other uh, uh, political places, and just it's kind of like. All all he's learned throughout his life. He's, in the amul- world of he's an, amul- uh, an amalgamation. Yes, an, amalg- an amalgamation yes, of a whole series of horrible people's <laughs> there ideas. There you go. Absolutely. And for people who may not be familiar with who Roy Cohn is, can we give like a little bit of a uh, a primer on on uh, the, the deceased Roy Cohn? <laughs> sure. Mm, R.I.P. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just real briefly, people talk about the McCarthy era hearings, like the Red Scare. Roy Cohn very proudly led that. He um, was uh, actually the person who introduced Roger Stone to Donald Trump, among other, because mm-hmm. uh, they, they, he was the lawyer for both of them. And uh, Roy Cohn said his proudest accomplishment in his life was getting the death penalty for um, a spy. I believe it was a Russian spy against America. Everybody else got traded back and forth. Mm-hmm. But Roy Cohn really sat down and said, I want to see her fry. He got it done, and that was the highlight of his life. There's a great documentary, almost a sister documentary, about Roy Cohn right now mm-hmm. on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Uh, highly recommended. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, the man was an evil, evil genius. But you know what? His mother loved him. <laughs> Isn't that nice? His mother loved well, him. Also, and uh, evidently, he got pegged a lot. He was having sex yeah. with at least one guy a day, which good for you. Well, good he, for you. Well, as he, Roger not, told, told us, Roy, to, Roy Cohn told him that uh, uh, he wasn't gay. He just liked to fuck men. Yes. yes. And, of course, it's only nefarious because Roy uh, actively uh, pursued anti-gay political um, uh, achievements, and he was anti-gay basically down He's the line. The, uh, the subject of Angels in America. I don't know if you've seen. Oh, and yes. one of the lines in that is uh, Roy Cohn is not... Uh, a homosexual Roy Cohn just likes to fuck men and those men also happen to shake the hand of the president 
There so you go. yeah, that's that, there it is. he's a somebody you know. But by, by Al Pacino, by the way. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> yes. yeah, he plays somebody. Him. Somebody like absolutely um, fascinated and craving power, and is just a vile creature in mm-hmm. the in the pursuit of it. But I just want to just back up to what we were saying just a moment before um, when we were talking about you know how they kind of came to be. I think Alex Jones is a little bit of a different case. I think Alex Jones is very much um, responsible for a lot of the things that uh, that has come out of at least his world, the info uh, right. you know, world mindset. Um, he really uh, is a powerful voice. I mean, that guy's charisma and his ability to connect with people, it's terrifying. Yeah, Absolutely well, like, terrifying. Uh, like Rush Limbaugh. I mean, speaking of like a terrifying well, Limbaugh good... seem, Limbaugh seems reasonable compared to yes, Alex Jones. Yes, compared to the Sandy Hook truther that mm. is Alex Jones, but uh, both masters of the crafts uh, yeah. in their own way. And we're all sitting here doing this because this stuff does have an effect. You know, what people hear, what right. uh, what gets popular, what gets into the vibe of culture. That's incredibly infectious. We're, we're a pack uh, uh, mentality. How much do you think Stone manipulated Alex Jones? How much was Alex Jones a pawn? Because, of course, on election Zero. night... Do you think zero? <laughs> zero. Absolutely zero. Really? No, yeah. You don't I, think I, that Alex Jones uh, could be used in any which way to get any sort of political thing? I mean, in I that think Alex world. Jones can be used. I think that was just a mutual uh, relationship that they had. They had the same end game. Um, and they disagree on many of the details along the way. Like, mm. certainly, Roger was never behind the, you know, the school shootings are a big hoax thing. Um, right. But uh, in a general sense, he's a I, free spirit. What does yeah, it do yeah. to a country when you have a president calling into a radio show and giving it validity in a radio show? Of course, in this case, being Alex Jones, mm-hmm. Alex Jones talking about all the hoaxes and whatever, all the nonsense that he talks about Pizzagate and God knows what else. What gay frogs. That, uh, gay frogs. I mean, that's that's true. But mm-hmm. and juice boxers are making kids gay. Sometimes he hits on some well, yeah, things that are true. He's got a few points. Of, of course. course. But what does it do to our country? When someone like Roger Stone, someone like Donald Trump, calls in or speaks with Alex Jones and validates them, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's not sure. Maybe when Roger Stone was on the show, he wasn't talking about gay frogs. Maybe he wasn't talking about, (laughs) you know, God knows what else is going on with uh, with with Florida in the water. Maybe he was just talking about Donald Trump and uh, the Second Amendment, uh, sovereign citizenship and those sorts of things, which in that world is a reasonable conversation. Um what do you think they did to prop him up and how do you think that's affected our culture today oh i think this is actually the defining feature of our current culture the concept that you can decide what media you listen to and what reality you're living in absolutely those guys the all that was an all like roger became an alternate historian he was rewriting history um based off of what he wanted people to believe basically alex jones they create this worldview and they say everything else is fake news yeah and uh, they create an echo chamber that just validates it. And they have then now that it spreads and they have a community that validates it. And now we have this America where people just don't even disagree on what basic reality is. Just compl- in their own right. silos. You can choose to live in Alex Jones's world. Definitely. That, like as if it were a theme mm-hmm. park, like in your mind. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's it, true. You choose to live there. <laughs> How much do you think Roger Stone actually influenced in 2000 when it came to uh, George Bush getting elected uh, when it comes to Florida and the count? Um, I again, I, I think uh, really that was his big year um, for for that period of his life. Certainly now Trump being elected, you know, the guy who he's been pushing. Uh, that's pretty hard to say uh, that ha- um, could be topped. But uh, he had the two for two in the 2000 election by tanking the reform party and uh, creating the lack of competition on the right wing for uh, George W. Bush. 
than when the recount happened. Of course, uh, that's what actually he's much more famous for doing uh, right. was creating the so-called Brooks Brothers riot, which stopped the recount when right. it was still with Bush ahead against Al Gore. And do you think he actually did that? Yes, I do, because I we actually filmed Roger creating fake protests. Uh, he does a combo of true believers, uh, people who are kind of tricked into it, and occasionally people that are hired also. And in this case, he, he probably didn't even really need to do any of that stuff. There was so much energy around it. He could right. just ship in some uh, some real, you know, right-wing, hardcore young people, and uh, he got them, you know, and we've seen, we saw him do it. Uh, he would, you know, just do it remotely. He wouldn't actually be the person there. He's too high profile, basically. Right. And just organize them, go in there, get that thing, you know, create a lot of noise, demand this, chant this. You mentioned energy, and I guess that's sort of what he does best. He channels it. He's able to take Definitely. all of this rage and all of this angst and then find a way to channel it down a single candidate or channel it in a way that you can actually solidify it as a political movement. He must be, like, emotionally... Uh, intelligent. He must be emotionally in, in, in Absolutely. entwined in a world that we didn't even really know existed. Like the whole Trump phenomenon, I thought it was very funny. I was like, I love that. I, I mean, honestly, during the Republican primary, it was quite great to watch him destroy everyone. Which I mean was naive for obvious reasons, but also it's like we also saw the Tea Party sort of become a thing. So why why was it such a surprise to us? Yeah, but uh, but we were kind of in the dark about the the actual reality of that being sort of a nationwide uh, phenomenon. How did Stone find it? Like how does how do they even find this? You know this sort mm -hmm. of. Oh, we was actually it because were, he got, got pushed scene. underground. Uh, it was when um, the the, J the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination. Roger okay. was there, starting out his alt history uh, career with, quite frankly, his least crazy book um, <laughs> uh, about the JFK assassination, uh, saying LBJ did it, and that it was a coup by LBJ. That was his um, least uh, least crazy book. Seems uh, kind of reasonable. <laughs> and uh, one of the things we learned uh, uh, making this film is that uh, in the American history of Dirty Tricks, LBJ is kind of like the, the grand champion of Dirty Tricks, even mm. beating out Nixon, taking nothing away from Nixon. Mm. They just went head-to-head -head in an election, and LBJ won. Right. Uh, but he did not get caught. Nixon kind of, everyone's crimes got through on Nixon's shoulders. Not unjustifiably. He was, you know, just an absolute cutthroat. So does Roger right. Stone have, like, LBJ's tattoo? on his ankle or something? Oh, no, he has, uh, uh, he would pass out signs to make it look like there was a grassroots movement that said LBJ did it. <laughs> yes, um, okay. And, and just to remind everyone, this is actually a very popular theory. Of it was, course. It was, it was Oliver Stone's uh, thesis at the end of his JFK movie. Yes. He, he came at it in a completely different way. He said it was a, a cabal of gay Cubans that mm -hmm. did it. Uh, Roger says, right. Roger has the same explanation that the, um, uh, the Irishman has, that it was Tony Salerno and it was the mobsters that did it as payback for uh, the um, the FBI basically finally admitting that the mafia even existed under the RFK um, uh, administration or JFK administration under RFK. You're a handsome guy, Dylan, and you're a nice guy. Um, <laughs> Thank you for making sure the audience you know, knows they, how so fantastic it's so Very late in the game to mention that. Any, well, you know, it, it takes me a while to warm up to people. <laughs> so in any way did you get compelled down the stone philosophy uh, compelled to follow some components of the stone philosophy because like everyone there are components that are just accurate like some of stone's worldview it is what it is that's just an accurate worldview um sadly it's probably correct that anger and rage in a <laughs> political sense have a mm -hmm. larger 
effect on getting people out to the polls than mm-hmm. peace on, and love and joy oh, and all those on things. On social media, and that certainly is definitely what, on social is what media. incites engagement, for sure. Did you ever find yourself listening to Roger Stone and changing it all? Or morphing into someone <laughs> like a potential Stone protege, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Travis Irvine, the director of Hail Yourself America. I'll be going on tour with that very soon. He he was relatively close with Roger Stone, and mm-hmm. and sometimes Travis. I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn here, <laughs> but sometimes Travis would come home and say a sentence and be like, "Nope, that's a Stone <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Get it out of here." Great to hear. No, that's no funny. can Thank do. you, thank you for taming that in him. Yeah, yes. did, yeah. did, Roger, did Roger Stone like scratch you, and you're like starting to kind of werewolf into Roger <laughs> it Stone? Really is. I mean, that is, it really uh-huh. is like that. Did you ever find yourself going down that road? Uh, well, I mean, what you were saying before is very true. Roger studies advertising techniques. Like, you yes. know, he would read, like, books about Ogilvy, the advertising guru, and things like that. And so, of course, you'd be very wise to just simply look at what works. And it's pretty hard to deny uh, Roger's philosophy of hate is a more powerful motivator than love as being effective looking at the last election uh, and what we have right now in America. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly I have tried not to, uh, you know, come away from that process too since. Clinically, certainly there are certain aspects that um, I've just kind of see the world a little bit differently, having seen how effective, basically, his techniques are. Right. But I'd say maybe the one way it affected me the most personally is I do dress a little better now. Good. You look great. Yeah. <laughs> you I look just, great. It's like, you know, it's uh, uh, looking at the old pictures of myself. I was like, ooh, I... I should have been wearing the better suit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Roger Stone dresses like the penguin on the keto diet or keto diet or whatever the hell it is. I didn't say dress in a pinstripe okay. blue and, and, and well, teal gonna, suit. I was going to say uh, mono- <laughs> Monopoly Man on bath salts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. But let me qualify that. D- don't dress like Roger Stone. Right. But dress- Just dress better. Yeah, yeah there we go. And again. Up to the standards. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so I guess let's just bring it just quickly here. Let's bring it to where we are now in our, in our country. We have 2020 coming up. He must be loving what's going on with the Democratic Party at this point with the primary. I'm sure Roger Stone is, If I'm sure he's following it from a jail yeah. cell somewhere. I mean, uh, no, from, from his home. He's not in a jail yet. Um, oh, he, that's got to be killing him that yeah. he can't. He's got so many clever plays on everybody's name that are like you know probably just top-notch middle school humor yeah he, he can't tweet them out he's, well, he's waiting. I, I am complicit in laughing at the bully on the playground because donald <laughs> trump called mike bloomberg mini mike and i thought it was funny it's good oh my god he's uh, mini travis he's tiny and he's mini mike and he, then he's like he's got a stuff on, on but, but what you're doing right there is the brilliance of trump and stone because exactly. you, you take your insults and your smears and you make them just a little funny they're and just it then is it's a worth little repeating. Fun. Exactly. And so you just got to basically, you know, emasculate and minimize Michael Bloomberg. A, a billionaire. Yeah. And you know, on the other side, it would have been if a liberal got someone to do it, it would have been a joke about Trump being broke and how Michael Bloomberg is an actual self-made billionaire. Right. On on uh on Fox News, Trump did say uh he just sort of went off on this tangent. He said Mike Bloomberg is he's trying to change the rules they he's saying he needs a box on the debate stage to stand on are the other candidates going to get boxes to stand on that's not fair the other candidates should get boxes to stand on everyone deserves a box to stand on and it's just like on. this lie slash tangent that he went on it's like that's <laughs> genius that's so yeah. brilliant um, well my, my I guess my one of my final questions would be um, you know there's a very sort of definite possibility that Roger Stone just doesn't see prison time at all at this point the way that things are progressing are we going to see Roger Stone is, is he going to have like a ninth life 
a political life? Like, is he going to come back and be a part of our political future in this country? Well, certainly the heat in the last couple of days don't make it sound like Roger's going to prison. Yeah. No. I mean, Trump's weighing in, saying it's BS. Bill Barr already reduced his sentence. I mean, things are happening so fast. By the time, you know, we stop this sentence here, as he might have already you exactly. know, walked out. And, and Donald uh, Trump can pardon him whenever he yeah. wants. And he very well could. But, you know, been given a flamethrower and just, you know, walking around <laughs> Congress with it. So uh, it seems like Rogers very successfully turned the narrative for his crowd, the Fox News crowd, the right wing crowd, that if he does a day in jail, it means the Mueller investigation was right. And he got uh, Tucker Carlson to say that on TV uh, two days ago. And we know Trump's listening. And, you know, what is why would Trump not pardon him is the real question. Because he would be criticized. Yeah, obviously <laughs> Trump doesn't care about that, and and presidents have pardoned controversial figures in the past, uh, not quite so vocally as Donald Trump mm-hmm. will be pardoning Roger Stone. I'm going to assume at some point in the near future. But presidents do obviously pardon people who are scumbags. That's the the luxury of having power and is being it, close to the presidency. Is it possible that uh, Roger Stone, like you know, knows where the bodies are buried? Does he have sort sort of some secret information that Trump might not want released? Or? It is entirely possible. Yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. But also the reality is, is that what could come out about Trump that right, uh, exactly. would, would sink yeah. him? I mean, yeah. if he had a photograph of Donald Trump standing over a dead body with a shovel and a big sign that said, I killed this guy because he fucking deserved it, uh, Trump would just say it was just a fake photo. And everyone on right. Fox News would believe it. And anyone who wanted to would believe it. And that would just be the end of it. Going forward in 2020, just for our audience, just to kind of be aware of what should we be looking for in whatever the general is? Uh, Obviously, Trump is out there campaigning now. The rallies are just as big as ever. His appeal to his voter hasn't gone anywhere. What should we be looking for when it comes to Roger Stone's fingerprints? When we see something in the media that just seems like, what the hell is going on? Uh, You know, just something's just a little bit off. And maybe we can't predict the future when we don't know exactly uh, what that is yet. But I can give you a great example of what happened last time. Okay, And it was something that Roger never quite said to us. I did this. But yeah, everyone knows Roger did it. And that was when it came down to just Ted Cruz and Donald Trump in the Republican primary. And Roger, uh, one of his rules is don't attack someone at their weakness, attack them at their greatest strength. And Ted Cruz's greatest strength was he was the God and country Christian guy. So right. Roger planted a story in the New York um, the uh, National, Inquirer. National Inquirer, excuse me, the yeah. National Inquirer, saying not that Ted Cruz had one affair, that he had six affairs. <laughs> right. And Ted Cruz then went on a national campaign saying Roger Stone planted this. He planned and ran Trump's campaign. They've been the main people playing all these dirty tricks from the beginning and that was just like a real uh, classic one that everybody the moment it happened they're like oh Roger yeah. <laughs> right. and then Ted but Cruz says I love my wife and then Trump says your wife is a horse or whatever and yeah. so it's just sort of a feedback <laughs> loop I mean, but of that shitting is, on Ted Cruz that's what's so hard because you can't really disprove a negative right you can't really just be like oh no I did not have an affair with six women because then all people hear is did this guy have an affair with six women? <laughs> yeah. Part of Roger's MO is to get him to say that. That's the whole thing. If, if you get them to deny it, the words have so come out of their mouth. So how do you, then how do you deal with it? Do you just <laughs> be like, I'm not comment? Because then if you don't comment, it's, a, it's the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, as American well, citizens, we assume all of our politicians are guilty. Mm-hmm. As soon as you hear something like, 
Ted Cruz had sex with six women. You're like, most likely. Uh, were they even adults? You know, like, I'd be amazed yeah. if they were adults. If they were, good for you. That's the most Christian thing you can do nowadays. Um, I, how, how do you even defend yourself against it? Uh, dis, uh, let's see. Again, Roger's rule. Deny, deny everything deny, deny. and attack. Uh, just, you know, dodge, distract, and attack. When the Access Hollywood video came out, I thought Trump and everyone else yes. uh, in my camp thought Trump was done. And what they did is they brilliantly distracted. That was definitely, as we mentioned before, a Roger Stone tactic that he paid for with his super PAC. He uh, created, it was a really ugly visual. It was badly filmed, but he created another visual on the other side of him with the women who have accused Bill Clinton yep. of rape. And then he had them sit in the front row of the debate. Right. And he was he managed oh, to God, was brutal. distract. He met, he actually really got to Hillary Clinton. Like she's like she was poised for the knockout punch in that debate, and she balked. And I, yeah, I, I really directly credit that move. Do you think that uh, those women are credible when it comes to the uh, accusations of Bill Clinton and rape? Because there are certainly a lot of women uh, that have made that claim. I mean, I, you know, it's hard for me to to make any public. Do you think that Roger Stone believes about that's that? True? Do you believe that Absolutely, Roger? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, that, one of the things that everyone wants to know is, you know, does Roger really believe all the things he says? Right. Right. He believes what gets applause. You know, he'll believe what what gets the guy elected. And um, that's kind of really what guides him. And he certainly, you know, that's an overstatement. He has his own personal beliefs. He's shifted uh, greatly from the hardcore right wing Republicans. He originally believed liberals were all evil. And now he's a pot smoking guy who marches in the gay pride parades. And he he became very libertarian. Um, But, you know, in regards like that, you know, does he believe Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton really have a body count and murder people left and right? Sure, he believes it. The crowd's respond lock her up so yeah he believes it right right and of course the irony is he is on the verge of being locked up himself so (laughs) dylan bank thank you so much for being here if you have not seen the documentary get me roger stone it is a must see it is timeless uh any uh any um chance you guys are going to be doing an addendum or an addition you know because this came out in 2017 Uh have you guys been working on anything to sort of you know the three of us are cooking on something we're not quite ready to talk about it yet but uh you know certainly uh, when it's ready uh hopefully uh it'll be even bigger well you have to come back and um yes because i mean roger stone is just such a fascinating character in american politics there isn't anyone like him there is no one like him no, I guess that's why it's um, and, such a fascinating look because it, it, all pol- all politicians are like kind of hollow people that you can just sort of like I don't know it, they're easy to overlook um, unless they're doing something horrible. <laughs> but Roger Stone is truly like um, an iconoclast and and a character, and to know that he has direct influence on our day to day reality is is very surreal. Um, so it's a, it's a fascinating portrayal of a goblin in our like a, a, an absolute a demon in our system one. a very very powerful I, one. I thought i was just coming on your regular horror uh, podcast i didn't i i was like wow these guys are really savvy i love it yeah, <laughs> because yeah. as i mentioned before i've made uh, several horror films as well and yes. uh, oh, no kidding. i always say i was like well this is just like a political horror film <laughs> it really no, is absolutely absolutely it really is although maybe more more blood spilled in this one Uh, i don't know you have to watch scavenger killers scavenger killers i love it get me roger stone check out the documentary it is a it is always important to see the people who run uh who run the campaigns 
for the folks who end up with an immense amount of power. It's a dirty ass bit. Dirtier than you expected politics or about as dirty as you thought it was going to be. You never quite expect how greasy <laughs> it's going to get when you're with Roger Stone and hearing Roy Cohn stories. Yeah. You, you have to be one of those people any to Roy even Cohen's, think of that any, crazy Any crap. Roy story you want to share? <laughs> um, oh, just give me a second. I will say, uh, as like a you know further material to this reminded me of the movie, the horror movie Greasy Strangler. I don't, oh, you, I don't know if you've seen the Greasy yeah, Strangler. No, no, no. It's a very sort of that seems like a Roger Stone adjacent horror movie. I so love check that, movie. that one out. A uh, literally a man in um, covered in grease who strangles people. You know, it's not a clever name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roger. One of the things Roger says in his book about the JFK assassination, his, quote, research comes from conversations he had in Roy Cohn's waiting room with Roy Cohn's clients who were mobsters. Mm -hmm. And he claims that they were just completely willing to volunteer up the info about the people they killed and the part they played in the JFK assassination. And I said to Roger, I was like, they just said this stuff to you in the lobby of like Roy Cohn's uh, law office, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, they considered us to all be uh, in the same circle." You know, yeah, like, there, there like weren't friends. any there weren't any magazines to read in the waiting room, yeah. so they just like right. had to shoot the shit a little bit. <laughs> wow! So that's that's uh, quote so quote unquote evidence by Roger Stone. <laughs> so Cohn is behind the assassination. I'm, I believe it. Uh, I uh, know he doesn't say that, but uh, Cohn, I think, defended. The people who are oh, <laughs> <Nice>. interested <laughs> all right dylan bank everyone thank you so much for being on the show my man it was awesome to be here it's really great to be able to talk in depth about something you know we filmed uh, roger for five and a half years we can never shut up about it so it's great <laughs> no. to have a chance i love it you have to come back as you continue the uh, documentary and things like that love to awesome all right, there it was, our interview with Dylan Bank. Thank you all so much for listening. I have some dates to announce for the Hail Yourself America Tour coming up in March. I will put a little promo out on all the shows here in the very near future, let you know where to get tickets for that very soon. You can find Travis and I on social media. And, uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you soon. Hail yourselves. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 